All right, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Malachi. And go to the book of Malachi, chapter 2. And we're talking about the whole of the pit. God tells us to look to the whole, at, the, at the whole of the pit from which we were hewn, what God dug us out of, and then look to the rock that we put our feet on, the solid foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're looking at some of the holes of the pit that God dug us out of when he saved us in Jesus Christ. And the first one was the hole of the pit of delusion. We were deluded about our spiritual condition. And most of us were deluded over the idea of religion. We had religion, and it was a placebo. It wasn't the real thing. It wasn't the real medicine for our sick souls. But we were delivered from the hole of the pit of delusion. And as the song that our uh, newlyweds sang uh, talked about, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our righteousness is no good in the eyes of God. And we tried to use that as a currency to persuade God that he was wrong about what he said about us. That's what a lot of people working their way to heaven are doing. They're saying, hey, God, I'm really not that bad. Watch, look what I did. And God says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, you, don't, you have no idea how short you come. And so we were, we were delivered from the hole of the pit of delusion. And then we talked about the hole of the pit of debt. The hole of the pit of debt. What did we owe for our sins? And the number of sins and the seriousness of those sins. Sins not only in action, but sins in thought and sins in intent. And we were accountable to God for that debt. And it was a debt we could never pay, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, God's Son cleanseth us from all sins. Praise the Lord for that great truth, that his blood paid that debt. And now we're going to look at the whole of the pit of divorce. The whole of the pit of divorce. Many of you here this morning, when Christ saved you, he saved your marriage as well. When Christ saved you, he saved your marriage as well. Now look, if you're here this morning and you've been divorced, I'm not trying to rub salt in an old wound. I just got to preach the word of God. And so if you've been saved and you've been divorced, then God can deliver you from the hole of the pit of the bitterness of divorce. Because divorce is a really bitter affair. Uh, Clint Eastwood said one time after his however manyth wedding, or excuse me, divorce, um, he said, I'm not going to get married anymore. He said, I'm just going to find some woman I can't stand and buy her a house. <laughs> and so maybe you're living with the bitterness of that experience. Well, then God can deliver you from the hole of the pit of that. But I want to talk to those of you that are married. I want to talk to those of you that are anticipating marriage. And uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. So let's look at Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15. The Bible says, And did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Verse 16. I want you to notice carefully what God says, what his attitude about putting away 
or divorce is, what God thinks of it. And the Bible says, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he, what's the next word? Hateth putting away. He hates it. You say, well, I'm, I, I have people come in, and I'm contemplating divorce. Okay, let me just be honest with you about something. Then you're contemplating doing something God hates. Okay? And, and I realize sometimes it seems like the only way out. But as someone once said, any port will do in a storm. And, and that's what you're facing. But I, I would be real careful about contemplating something that God says that he hates. I, I, would, I would be thinking about that. And uh, I believe one of the reasons he hates it is because of what it does to the children. And uh, please, say all, save all the flimsy stuff about the kids will be better off, okay? Save all that stuff. Because any child of divorce will tell you the same thing. They want their parents to stay together. They, they want them to work it out. They want them to grow up and work it out. And uh, that's what we have an epidemic of in our country. Uh, it, it has more to do with an epidemic of people not uh, growing up than it does people uh, getting divorced and not understanding how to s stay married. Uh, folks, being married and staying married just takes a lot of sacrifice and death to self. It really does. It takes a lot of sacrifice and death to self. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But let's look also at another portion of Scripture. And let's go to Matthew chapter 19. Just one book across, cross the line into the New Testament. And go to Matthew chapter 19. And um, Matthew chapter 19. And look at verse uh, 4. Uh, the Pharisees have come to Christ in verse 3. And they're asking him about divorce. And notice what he says in verse 4. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Well, there's an answer to one of the big pressing questions of our time. <laughs> How many genders are there? <laughs> Give me a break. Give me a break. And, and the worst part about it is they want to foster this stuff on little children. And, and, and God, God help the parent that takes a five or six or a ten-year-old and takes them to a doctor to get mutilated. And, and, if, and if they're a boy being given estrogen and if they're a girl being given testosterone, God help the parents to do something like that. What is wrong with you? What is, what is absolutely wrong with you? I read an article the other day. It said that those kind of people are narcissists. They like the attention of having a trans kid. Well, find some other way to ha get attention. Do something worthwhile. What a thing to get attention for. But uh, there's the answer to your question this morning. That's what the Bible says. In the beginning, God made them male and female. And that's what a marriage is. It's a male and a female coming together and becoming one flesh. And uh, there's the answer to a lot of different questions that our, our society that seems to have lost its mind is having a hard time wrestling and grappling with. Uh, verse 5, and said, for this cause, 
shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And uh, they say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you or allowed you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And uh, he says in verse 9, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her that is put away, uh, doth commit adultery. And look what the disciples say in verse 10. And his disciples say unto him, If the case of a man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. <laughs> and you know what? I think it's sad, but I think a lot of young people in our, in our country today have come to that conclusion. They've seen so much carnage in marriage and so much divorce that they're just getting together and living together. What we used to call in the day shacking up. Shacking up. And, and by the way, if you're saved, uh, don't shack up. Get married. Have a testimony of your love for one another in the eyes of God and before God's people. Uh, don't be ashamed of each other. Have that testimony. Get married. Amen? Get married. But we're living in a society that's turning its back on marriage because uh, I, be I believe they're just discouraged have gotten cynical about it. But notice what, what Jesus says here. He says, he says in verse 8 that, that Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And, and, and as it's got to be honest and frank with you this morning, it's the only way to be when you're preaching, but uh, I've dealt with a lot of couples over the years that their marriage was in crisis, and, 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 and all of the talk of marriage, whether they say it's better for the kids or this or that, it just comes down to, uh, I, I don't want to deal with the problems, I don't want to work through it, and I want what I want in many cases. I want what I want. And that's, Jesus calls that the, the hardness of your hearts. It's, we, we would say selfishness. And that's why one of the things I tell couples in premarital counseling is that the most important thing I can say to you in all of these sessions is that each of you stay close to God. Because when you stay close to God, it crucifies the flesh. And crucifying the flesh keeps us from being as selfish as we would normally be. And selfishness is what kills marriages. Selfishness and unforgiveness. Folks, marriage is a relationship between two forgivers. Never forget that, between two forgivers. And you say, well, you don't know what I'm putting up with. Yeah, and I don't know what your spouse is putting up with either, amen? <laughs> and, and God does know, amen? And God knows the intention of every heart. So let's talk a little bit uh, more about marriage here uh, this morning because it's important. It's the basic building block of society. And if you want to know why so many things are going haywire in our country and throughout the world, it's because of the crumbling of this important uh, institution, this important thing that God has given us. And uh, there's, there's five steps 
to this I'm going to give you. We're Americans. We like our little 12-step plans. I'm going to give you a five-step plan. How's that? We'll skip seven of them, and I'll just give you five. Number one, plan on staying together. Just plan on it. Just plan on staying together. I, I tell young couples in premarital counseling, I tell them one of the first things I tell them is get divorce out of your vocabulary. Divorce is not unlike suicide. The more you talk about it, the more apt you are to do it. And I understand you get in a fuss, you get in an argument, and, and uh, the fire rushes to your head, and you start getting discouraged with the, the beating your head against the wall, and you start throwing the D word out there. And, and the more you throw it out there, the more apt it is that one of you will take the bait one of these days. Don't do that. Get, get that out of your vocabulary. Uh, folks, God doesn't threaten to divorce us. When we trust Christ as our personal Savior, we have him forever, and, and he has us forever, and he doesn't threaten us with divorce. Don't threaten each other with divorce. Just get that out of your vocabulary. Plan on staying together. Number two, work on staying together. Work on staying. Work on something besides your golf stroke. Work on something besides your Pilates. Work on something besides uh, uh, your, your, your little Facebook page or whatever other thing you've got out there that makes you such a grand worldwide celebrity that none of us can forget. <laughs> uh, work on your marriage. Work on it. You say, well, uh, and too often we think working on our marriage is trying to change our spouse. So often I'll have couples come in that are in crisis and we'll get talking about and, and one of them will say, well, well I'm, we're working on our marriage. And when I, when I begin to unpack things, I, I, I realize that, that working on their marriage means that each of them is trying to change the other one. Work on your marriage by changing yourself. Husbands, you want a better wife? Become a better husband. Wives, you want a better husband? Become a better wife. Work on your marriage that way. Plan on staying together, work on staying together. Number three, ignore the world plan. Ignore the world plan. The world has no idea what's going on. The world has lost its mind. Like I said earlier, they don't even know what the genders are anymore. That's how crazy it's gotten. Ignore the world plan. The Word of God says men ought to be men, and they should lead, and, and, and women ought to be women, and they should follow their husbands, and they should unite together for the cause of raising children for the glory of God. That's God's plan. That's God's word. Ignore the world plan. The world is going to tell you, you got to get fulfilled. The world's got to tell you, you got to have more fun. Let me tell you, when you get about 18 to 21, most of those, are, most of those things are over with. Okay? Now, I think kids ought to play and kids ought to have fun, and that's what being a kid ought to be about. Let the kids have fun. Let the kids play. But uh, when you become an adult, now's the time to act like one. You know, when you're a kid, it's fun, 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 and then work, and then fun, 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 work, fun, 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 work. But you become an adult, it's work, 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 fun, interrupted by your work, 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 fun. <laughs> and 
And uh, you know what? You just got to realize that when you reach a certain age. You say, well, I'm not fulfilled. I'm not getting what I want out of this. Well, it's not all about you. It's not all about you. It's about your testimony in Jesus Christ. It's about your children. It's about your walk with God. It's about those vows you took at an altar. Remember that? For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, probably poorer. <laughs> okay, till death do us part. Remember all that stuff you promised before God and in the face of this company? Remember all that? Okay. So it, it's time to ignore the world plan. It's time to ignore the world plan. I uh, showed a couple of these videos on Sunday night, uh, demolishing evolution and this intelligent design and these scientists and stuff. And uh, uh, my wife and I were talking about this, and honestly, there's some stuff out there geared for children. You know, look at the pretty horse that God made and look at the pretty cow and look at the pretty sky and all that. And, and you know what? You know why I'm giving you something that's on an adult level? And by the way, a high schooler or older can get all this stuff. A middle school kid can get all this stuff that we're doing. And you know why I'm doing that? Because dad, mom, I want you to get it and then go home and do your job. Lose the attitude that someone else is going to raise my kids. That someone else is going to make my kids godly. Start doing your job. Someone else is going to do it as the world plan. How about God's plan where you're doing it? You sit down at home with them. You spend some time with them. You talk to them about God's magnificent creation. You learn something and bring it to your kids. So ignore the world plan, folks. Ignore the world plan. And then, number four, pay attention to God's plan. Pay attention to God's plan. You say, what's God's plan? It's right here in the book. It's right here in the book, folks. Pay attention to God's plan. It's right there in the book, God's Word. And then number five, execute. Execute. Get active. Plan. Make some plans. You're not spending enough time talking to your kids about the things that are important? Then make some time. Get on your calendar. Start pushing things around. Prioritize that. Prioritize that. Uh, our church has a reputation for being a man's church. We've got a lot of men here. That's good. That's good. You need to take your family to church. You need to show them that it's important. You need, they need to see you reading your Bible. Uh, they, they need to see you on your knees praying. They need to see you handing out a gospel track and telling somebody about Jesus Christ. They need to see that it's important to you. Execute. Execute. And, and, and get with your children and talk to them about the things that are important. Don't expect somebody else to check all the boxes for you. That's the world plan, folks, and I'm afraid a lot of Christians have adopted that. They've adopted it, and they've said, here, church, you raise my kids. Here, school, you raise my kids. Here, society, you raise my kids. Here, uh, television, gag, you raise my kids. Here, Disney, you raise my kids. <laughs> Disney will turn them into a queer for you. That's what they'll do. That's the world plan, man. Get with God's plan. And then execute. 
execute. All right. So marriage takes some work. Marriage takes some commitment. And, and let me say this. Um, I've said over and over and over again to my wife, I said, look, I'm going before you. And what I mean by going is I'm going to die before you because I wouldn't be worth a toot without you. And I think if I was gone, she'd do just fine. So I'm going to say right now off the bat, uh, what I'm about to say, I don't, I don't mean to say in a harsh manner or in a manner that seems to be uncharitable, but can I, can I say something to widows that I think is important? Can I say something to widows that I think is important? Before you contemplate getting with someone else, would you be really slow? And I, when I mean slow, uh, the, the body should at least be cold in the ground by now. Okay? It shouldn't still be warm. Would, would you take at least a year to let your emotions settle down before you see anybody or contemplate anybody or get on the internet and start looking for somebody? And by the way, watch out for those profiles because a lot of them are as phony as yours. <laughs> One fake leading another fake on. Would you please be slow about it? And would you please come in and get some advice? You say, well, I've already done this. I was married for 50 years and we were successful, yes. But being widowed and married somebody else that's been widowed with all of their extended family and all the stuff that comes with it is a whole new ball game. And there's a lot more to the process than there was the first time around when you were a couple of kids. And you were pliable and you were moldable. And you conform to each other. Now you're old and hard and crusty, and you don't conform, you just bang against. <laughs> that, that, that's what, it, you, you need to get some help. Don't think you know it all. And the reason I say all this is, is I'm almost in a state of shock when somebody that's been widowed comes in and asks for some advice in that regard. And uh, you know what? Your, your chance, the, statistically, Widows getting remarried isn't a whole lot better statistically than people getting divorced and remarried. So I knew I, knew I was going to fetch a coldness on this service with that one. But uh, I've just seen too much carnage, okay? And I'm just trying to help you. Or as they would say down south, I'm just trying to hep you. Just trying to be a hep. So work on it. Keep growing in your marriage. Uh, the whole of the pit of divorce... And please understand what love is. Please understand what love is. I think one of the reasons we got so much divorce in our country is people don't understand what love is. People think love is a feeling. If you don't believe that, listen to the songs. Read the poetry. Listen to people talk. It's a feeling. It's a feeling. I, I get this feeling from you, and I, I love this feeling we have. And folks, feelings are fickled. Feelings are up, feelings are down, feelings are circumstantial. Feelings have to do with uh, glands in our body and our brains. Feelings have to do with emotions, and emotions go up and down and up and down. That's not a basis for love. Uh, love produces feelings. I like to feel good, but feeling good isn't proof that I love anybody, and, and, and feeling bad isn't proof that I don't love them. 
And so if you make your definition of love a feeling, then one day you're going to wake up and you don't feel so great about your marriage. You'll come to the conclusion you don't love that person anymore or they don't love you. And then you want to split the sheets and go find that feeling again. And, and folks, when we first meet, there is that infatuation. I get that. You know what's the basis of infatuation? I'll give it to you in one word. Ignorance. You look at that person, that, oh, perfect. That's the one I've been looking for. You have no idea what you're looking at. That's why you're so infatuated. And that's why people get infatuated with you. Because they're ignorant of who you really are. <clears throat> Then you get married, and pretty soon there's all this discovery that goes on. And that infatuation is like new car smell. It's gone eventually. And then you wake up one morning, and you want that again. So what do you do? You go get another new car. You get rid of the old one. And up and down and up and down it goes. And I believe that's one of the reasons that we have so much divorce. What is love? Folks, love is, is more than anything else a decision. For God so loved the world. Now, do you think when God looked at the world, he thought he was going to get a great deal when he got all of us? When God loved the world, he loved the unlovely. When God loved the world, he understood the, um, not deficits, he understood the liabilities he was taking on. And, and really, love comes to an understanding of those things. That's why you don't marry somebody just like that. You know, the love at first sight stuff, that's infatuation at first sight. But you need to learn to love each other, and you, you, you love each other in spite of the, the negatives. And, and as, you, as you get to know each other, you start realizing where the warts are. And that's what God did. God so loved the world, he made a decision to love. And that, again, that's what those vows are about. Better or what? Worse. Richer or poorer. In sickness and in health. Both. All of the above. You take the bad with the good. You made a decision to love. And God so loved the world, he loved the unlovely. Um, the realization I had that I loved Carol and needed to put a ring on her finger was uh, during an evening when uh, her and I were down at Bible school, and, and, and we had had it out about something we had had it out about a number of times, and, and I remember thinking to myself, and she was saying, I'm just going to go back home and, and, and forget this, and, and I remember thinking about that, yeah, you do that. <laughs> I've had enough of this. And then I thought to myself, that's unthinkable, because she might, marry, she might meet somebody else, and she'd be gone. She'd be out of my life. And it was during probably uh, one of the lowest times in our period of dating or courting or whatever you want to call it that I realized I loved her because even during that time it was unthinkable to me that she could be with anybody else. And, and that's what you got to understand. You're making a decision to love. Yeah, you're getting all the benefits, but understand you're getting the liabilities too that come with it. And that's what God does with us, amen? That's what, what, what kind of deal did God get when he got you and me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. It's a decision and it's a commitment. It's a commitment. When you trust Christ as your personal savior, you're making a commitment to him, but he's making a greater commitment to you. 
He's promising you eternal life. And bring that into your marriage, folks. Your marriage is a decision. Your marriage is a commitment. Yeah, it will produce feelings. It'll produce a lot of good feelings. And, you know, my wife and I stare in each other's eyes and float around. Well, I don't know if she floats around, but I float around. And we do all that stuff. But, but it's different. As you get older, it's different. And, and, and God has made a commitment to us. He's made a decision to love us. And feelings will come and feelings will go. But have the right understanding of what love really is. And that's so important to keep a marriage going the way it should. And then let's take our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And I realize I'm move, moving kind of fast, but I'm trying to cover a lot of material here. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, this is the uh, most profound portion of Scripture anywhere in the Bible on the subject of marriage, the husband and the wife. And uh, we start in verse 21, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21. The Bible says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, before God talks about positional submission of the wife to the husband and the headship of the husband, the first thing he says to both of us, husband and wife, he says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You know what that is? That's the second commandment. That's to love your neighbor as yourself. That's to put your neighbor, and in this case, your spouse, before yourself. And by the way, every one of us that's saved here this morning has two father-in-laws. Two father-in-laws, folks. The one here on earth and the one up in heaven. And we're going to give account for how we treated our spouse. Husbands, you'll give account for how you treated God's daughter there. And ladies, you're going to give account for how you treated God's son that he gave you, that gift he gave you, so you could be married and enjoy life in so many wonderful, wonderful ways. So he says, first of all, before we're going to... And by the way, if we, don't, if we don't do verse 21, none of the rest of it's going to matter. If I don't do verse 21, if I don't submit myself to my wife in the fear of God, if I don't put her, her needs before mine, if I don't love her in a selfless way, then I'm not going to be able to get through what God tells me to do as a husband. And I might mechanically be able to go through some of the motions, but I, I'm not going to be able to put my heart into it, and it's not going to be real, and it's not going to be effective. We can't get to verse 22 before we take care of verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Again, it's going to be by the, the Bible plan. We're going to plan on being faithful to each other. We're going to plan on serving the Lord together. We're going to plan on being kind one to another. We're going to plan on, 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 on having charity one with another. I was reading something not too long ago that suggested that, that charity and love, there's a very big distinction between the two because there is no negative connotation of charity anywhere in the Word of God, but there are some negative connotations of love. You can love the wrong thing. 
Okay, you can love the wrong thing. But there's nothing in the Bible with charity having a negative connotation. And charity is those acts of kindness. Those acts of kindness toward each other. That, that giving way uh, of our own uh, rights or liberties to the benefit and the good of someone else. We talk about acts of charity. Someone said you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And that's what charity is. It's the giving part of love. It's so important. And we've got to learn to have that in our marriages. And, and then he goes on to say in verse 22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now that flies in the face of all this current day feminism. You know, where a woman is supposed to get sassy. And, and, and in, as they said in the old days, wear the pants in the family. But folks, it just doesn't work. And it's not comely. We were watching uh, something on the news talking about these three college presidents that, uh, you know, couldn't stand up and say that people yelling out to have genocide of the Jews is just absolutely, totally, 100% wrong. They said, well, it's wrong, and then they had 100 yeah buts behind it. Yeah, all three of them should get canned. One of them got canned, and two more should get canned. But then my wife made the remark. She goes, there's three women doing something they shouldn't be doing. They should be at home raising families or taking care of grandkids, and they're messing up colleges is what they're doing. I'm telling you something. This feminism doesn't work, folks. We got the women doing the man's job. We got the man bailing out and, uh, I don't know what, worrying about his team. That, that, that's, that's the biggest worry of the average man in America today is how his team did last night. And, and, and leadership is being abdicated and everything's out of sorts. And the Bible says, <coughs> wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands <coughs> as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. So I didn't write that. I just got the job of preaching it. As unto the Lord. You say, well, you have no idea all of his faults and bumblings and stupidity. Yeah, and I have no idea about yours. <laughs> but God does. As unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. And that's why we, live, we leave the obey in our vows here at Treasure Valley Baptist Church. We leave that in there. We leave that in there. I, uh, we do that, and you know, we always have unsaved people at these weddings, and you, you, you hear that word obey, and you just see some of them just cringe. And I, I'm talking about God's plan versus the world's plan. All right? We're Bible believers here this morning, aren't we? We, we brought a Bible here. We profess that, don't we? All right, well, then let's execute. Let's live it. Let's do it. And uh, um, verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, uh, folks, uh, the model, the picture is Christ in the church. And, and that's what we have to model. And, and ladies, look at the church. Look at the church's role with the Lord Jesus Christ. And guys, look at, look at Christ in his relationship to the church. And notice what he goes on to say here. He says then, he says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. 
Now, aren't you glad this morning it doesn't say even as much as Christ also loved the church? That would be mission impossible. But, but love her with the same kind of love, even as Christ also loved the church. And what kind of love is that? That's love that says, I, I give myself away for you. I would give my life for you. You may not have the opportunity to jump in front of a car and save her that way and your life for her life, but uh, we can live in such a way where she understands that. She understands she's, she's it in your eyes. And by the way, that's what you've got to get across to her, guys. So well, I said it once when we got married 20 years ago. What does she want? <laughs> you got to make sure she knows that in her heart. That this is the kind of love you're, you're loving her with. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Uh, what's the Lord telling us here, guys? Uh, your ministry to your wife is critical. Your ministry to your wife is important. And your ministry to your wife is going to give you back the wife you made in many ways. Amen. And you guys, you gals have profound influence over your husband too. If you think your husband's a doof, you, that, that might be your handiwork. That might be on you. If you resist him every time he tries to lead, if you don't reverence him like Paul says here at the end of the chapter, look at verse 33, and the wife see that she reverenced her husband. If you don't, if you don't reverence him, let me tell you something, my wife, anytime she sees my courage start to flag, she starts to pump me up on this, you know, be the man, play the man, be the guy, do it. She wants a knight in shining armor. She won't take any less. And I knock myself out for her more often than not. And you gals would be surprised if you just follow the Bible, what your husband might do to try to prove to you he's that guy. And guys, you know, so I'm tired of my wife this and tired of my wife that. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's the product of your ministry there. Maybe that's the product of your ministry. Uh, take a look at it. Uh, he goes on and says in verse 29, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. He says, this is a great mystery, verse 32, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He's saying in verse 32 that Christ and the church are the pattern. And we're going to close with this here in verse 33, I promise, okay? There will be a cross-reference, but we're going to close with this. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Paul sums up the whole thing in verse 33. Here's the crux of the matter. Guys, you need to love your wife even as yourself. And I might add, she needs to know that. She needs to know that. And then ladies and the wife see that she, what's the next word? Reverence her husband. Okay? 
Put him on a pedestal. He'll fall off a few times, but he'll learn to stay on it eventually. You want a knight in shining armor? Treat him like that. Learn how to reverence him. Ignore all this stupid feminism. These are a bunch of sorry, sad sack people whose lives are a mess themselves, and they want you to join them. Do it the Bible way. Don't do it on the world plan. Let me give you the cross-reference here. Go to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31, the great chapter on the virtuous woman. I'd like to get to a lot of other things this morning, but we're not going to have time. Proverbs 31. Now, he says, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself. Look at Proverbs 31, and look at verse 28. Proverbs 31, verse 28. Her children arise up and call her blessed. Where did they learn that? Well, here's where they learned it. Her husband also, and he praiseth her. And he praiseth her. Then notice what he says. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Let every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself. Many daughters have done virtuously, but honey, you're it. You're the tops. You're the best. Period. Okay? Now, if you feel that way, great. If you don't, repent. But if you feel that way, then make sure she knows that. All right? This is what he says about her in front of the kids. That's what the kids say about her. Lift her up and encourage her. The world is telling her she's stupid if she stays home and she's a keeper at home. The world is telling her she's stupid for that. Let her know she's making the best decision she could possibly make. And then, gals, the Bible says, let the wife see that she reverence her husband. Look at verse 23 in Proverbs 31. Look at Proverbs 20, uh, 31, verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. The idea here is her husband is, is, is part of those that rule and guide in Israel. How did he get to be that way? Well, I think she had a lot to do with it. I, I think she had a lot to do with it. Uh, look at verse 31. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. There's that reference again. Someone once said, uh, behind every uh, great man is a, is a great woman. And uh, I would also add, behind every great man is a surprised mother-in-law. <laughs> but get behind him. Don't criticize his dreams. Get behind him. And you guys make sure she understands that you love her with the kind of love that Christ has for the church, a, a love where he gave himself for us. And uh, that's all I got time to say this morning, so let's bow for a word of prayer. The whole of the pit of divorce, let's stay out of it, amen? Let's stay out of it. Let's, let's give our kids, let's give our kids happy homes, let's give our kids secure homes you say, well, I'm going to bust this one up because it's not happy, and I'll give them, give them another one that is happy. You won't. You won't do any better next time. Stay with what you got. You, you, you're probably better than you deserve. Chances are it's better than you deserve. Amen. Be thankful. 
Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for marriage, Lord. You put all this together. You made them male and female. Thank you for that. You put marriage together. You gave us the, the instruction book, your word. And help us, Lord, to abide by it, to ignore the world plan. And help us to make plans to succeed by doing things your way, Lord. Bless the homes in this church. Bless the marriages. Deliver us from the hole of the pit of divorce, Father. Help us all to realize, Lord, we married over our heads. We got better than we deserve. Help us now, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals. Turn to number 421. The altar's open if you need to use it. You come and pray. Number 421, higher ground. Let's sing to the Lord about higher ground. Father, you're good to us. <clears throat> uh, you saved us. If you did nothing more than save us, we'd all be better for that experience. But then you put an organization like a local church where we can come here and be fed like we just were. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for our pastor. Thank you for our church. That we are here today is proof that you love us. Thank you so much. God, I pray that everybody that heard this 
that it touches their hearts, and that it helps them. Because if they do better, God, then we can look to, to more glory for you. Thank you so much, Father, for how good you've been to us. Bless these people as they leave. Now, Father, they were, they were loyal, God. They, were, they, they did right. They came to church. Help them to come tonight, Father. Just get another good meal. That's how good this is. Thank you so much, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.